Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ozpol Explained, and today we'll be talking about talking, by which I mean freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is a right that many hold to be absolute, above all else, even if that speech harms others. As the writer Evelyn Beatrice Hall once said in her biography of Voltaire, which has since been mistaken for a Voltaire quote, I may disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Yeah, surprise, he didn't say that one, but I did just then. It's pretty important to lots of people's idea of what a democratic society is, but what actually are the laws, limits, and protections for freedom of speech in Australia? In this episode, I'll be exploring those questions by discussing historical precedents, a campaign to ban communism, the Prime Minister of New Zealand for some reason, and which particular group legally has their freedom of expression restricted. And also, broadcast television advertising regulation. All equally thrilling and interesting subjects. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Are you ready? This will make sense in a moment. Okay, so first up, there is no explicit right for freedom of speech in Australia. Yep, that's right. If your first thought went to, but the First Amendment, then you've mistaken us for the United States. That's, no, we're not the US. One, Australia doesn't say amendments. Also, Australia doesn't have a Bill of Rights. Our constitution says the phrase freedom of speech as often as it mentions the Prime Minister, which is exactly zero. And yet, we still have a Prime Minister, and we also aren't jailed for speaking our minds. Usually. So like, what gives with that? The constitution doesn't explicitly state freedom of speech is a right. It actually has very little to do with rights, and a lot more about the responsibilities and powers of the federal government. So, you know, things like appointing federal judges, and what is or isn't a power reserved for the state parliaments, and so on. Rights that we do have in the Constitution are as follows. The right to vote, which is in section 41. The right to trial by jury, which is in section 80 freedom of religion, which is section 116, protection against unjust acquisition of property, section 51, and prohibition of discrimination on the basis of what state you live in, section 117. And before you panic and think, oh no, we're all doomed, we don't have freedom of speech in Australia, look, the Constitution does have an implied right of freedom of political communication, which doesn't sound as fancy, but I'll get into it. This implied right was established over multiple High Court cases, with some very important ones happening in the 90s. But for now, let's cast our mind back to a bit further into the distant past. So basically, the High Court is exactly what it sounds like. It's the highest court in the country. Their role is to interpret and make decisions when it comes to following the Constitution. They are also the, like, last form of appeal within Australia. If they decide a law is unconstitutional, then the law is null and void. A historic example of this is when the Liberal Prime Minister Robert Menzies tried to ban the Communist Party of Australia in 1950. Now, spoilers, it did not succeed. But he tried, like, super hard. Points for effort. I guess. So, it's the 1950s, right? Which, for many of you, is the time period you imagine your dad lived in, even though he, statistically speaking, based off my demographic analytics, was 
born in 1970. TV wasn't just in black and white, but also yet to even begin broadcasting in Australia. So we're talking about like a time period of remarkable lack of entertainment options, not even TikTok. And so the blood sport that was broadcast on the radio was whether or not Menzies would be able to defeat the Communist Party of Australia. As far as Menzies was concerned, communists weren't just bad, but like inherently dangerous. So he declared that the party was just unlawful. It was not good. Just all of you are not allowed anymore and you must be dissolved. But also on top of that, its property should be confiscated. And if the government declared someone to be a communist, they were unable to work for the government or in certain industries. And it was up to the accused to prove in court that they weren't a communist and therefore not a danger to Australia. Guilty until proven innocent. Menzies said that the communist party was engaged in subversion to overthrow the system of government in Australia. I'd go into details as to where he got this idea from, but this episode is long enough and, and I don't want to be accused of Stalin for time. If you know what I mean. That was the worst pun. Thank you. Uh, we did it. We found the worst pun. The relationship between the Communist Party of Australia and the USSR is complicated, but so is like all of history and anyone telling you differently is probably pushing something. So I'm not going to spend 15 minutes talking about like their views on the USSR and public knowledge of what the USSR did and blah 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 blah. Whatever. There are communists. They're in Australia. So basically the High Court got involved. H.V. Evatt, then Deputy Leader of Labour and former High Court Justice, challenged the law on behalf of the unions because he believed that the law went against the fundamental liberties of the freedom of association and expression. H.V. Doc Evatt was not a communist, but he understood that even though politics is divisive, you must be free to express the opinions you hold. This led to Everett being viewed as weak on communism, which negatively impacted his election attempts later on. The court ruled that the government had the power to protect itself from subversion thanks to the defense powers of section 51 of the constitution and also executive powers in 51 and 61. However, parliament just couldn't declare that certain things were facts. Like if you're like, this is a fact, it has to be determined in court. One judge said that just because Parliament says something is a lighthouse does not make it a lighthouse. It's up to the court to decide this. This is funny to me because under section 51 of the constitution, Parliament has the power to make laws about lighthouses. But, <laughs> oh boy, if the high court decides that they've made a law about a structure that isn't a lighthouse, oh, you better believe that that'll make a very odd court case, I guess. Basically, if you want to say the Communist Party and every one of its members were guilty of subversion or any other crime, you'd have to prove it in court. And that's pretty time consuming. Menzies was determined he was going to stop the communists, who at that point had only ever managed to get one member elected to any parliament in Australia. His name was Fred Patterson. He was in Queensland. He was the only member who had actually managed to get into parliament in the 30 years of their existence. And then also uh, up until this point, historically ever. But one communist was too many communists for Robert Menzies. So he kept trying. 
So, what do you do when the constitution stops you from making a law? Simple. You change the constitution. And by simple I mean statistically very difficult, rarely ever succeeds and also costs a lot of money. The constitution can't be changed except by a referendum, where the general public of Australia votes on a specific change. So in 1951 Australia was asked, hey, can I alter the constitution? so I can have powers specifically to deal with communism. And Australia was pretty divided on the issue, but mostly went, no. Like most referendums that deal with increasing government powers, they said no. Constitution didn't change, political association was preserved, and people were allowed to be members of the Australian Communist Party. Though by 1951, Fred Patterson, the only ever elected member, had lost his seat in 1950 and would be the end of the party's electoral success up until its eventual dissolution in 1991. So Menzies kind of wasted a lot of time and effort for, you know, a, what he perceived to be a problem that was fixed already. But it proved that Australia was willing to uphold the right to have a political party exist even if it was against the values of most Australians. Now that we've laid down our good old historical court case, let's get down to the really thrilling part of this episode, TV advertising regulations. Pause for dramatic effect. It was the 1990s. Three incredibly important things happened. One, I was born. Two, Furbies were invented and it was a nightmare for the decades to come. And three, the High Court determined an implied freedom of political communication within the Constitution. There are multiple court cases, but the key one I'll mention is the Australian Capital Television PTY LTD v Commonwealth. Rolls off the tongue. Amazing. Strap in for an absolutely wild ride as I dive into the thrilling world of early 90s High Court battles. Just thinking about this makes me get ready for a run to work with all the excess adrenaline rushing through my veins right now. And the teleprompter has to, to catch up to me. Okay, now it's there. Basically, right, in 1991, the government passed the Political Broadcasts and Political Disclosures Act, which had two key points. One, it banned political material being broadcast when it was close to an election, with the exception of the news or talkback programs. So basically, instead of being spammed with political ads during the campaign, the only political information you could get was from a news program. Two, outside of elections though, political advertising would be broadcast for free. This free advertising would be divided amongst the parties already in power based off the amount of seats they have, and then 5% would remain to other parties to apply to use. The idea was that, hey, political advertising is not just for the wealthy, and so even minor parties with little to no budgets could participate by applying for free broadcasting. Broadcasters responded to this new regulation with, uh, mm, excuse me, pay us? We don't want to do this for free. We're a, we're a business. We provide a service. You pay us. Pay us now, please. Give us money. Link to my Patreon in the description, by the way. There were multiple points in the case, like a state's rights to make political advertisements, the unfair acquisition of property for forcing a broadcaster to use their services for free, and of course, freedom of speech. 
the High Court ruled that public discussion of political and economic matters were necessary to help people make political judgments and vote effectively. Given that the law would give the majority of broadcast time to those already in power and then severely limit the ability of those outside of parliament to fight for a time slot, this then prevents people from adequately making political statements. Even though it allowed people who didn't have money to participate in ways they hadn't been able to before, they were also then still restricted by that regulation to a limited amount of participation as determined by a regulatory body. So it's like, yeah, you can participate, but only so much. So although it enabled political expression, the idea was flawed and it actually created an unequal and restrictive measure on that political expression. So although the constitution makes no blanket statements about freedom of speech, the court ruled that the legislation was against the constitution's implied right of freedom of political communication. Now we know how we've determined Australia has an implied right of freedom of political expression. What are the limits on that? And also, where does the former Prime Minister of New Zealand fit into this? In 1996, former Prime Minister of New Zealand, David Lungy, decided to sue the ABC, is a sentence I thought I'd never say. But here we are. The reason for this is because the ABC aired an episode of Four Corners that alleged that the New Zealand Labour Party was under the influence of large business interests due to their large donations to their 1987 election campaign. Lange was unsurprisingly not a fan of the allegation that he was corrupt and so sued for defamation. Quickly, so you know what defamation is, it's when person A says something about person B, and then this unfairly hurts the reputation of person B. Saying someone is super corrupt when people didn't previously think that that person was super corrupt is a pretty common example of this. If you'd like more knowledge about this, look it up on Wikipedia or dial your local lawyer and be like, hey, what's the limits of what I can say about someone that I hate? You may be charged for this. So, Lange said that the ABC unfairly hurt his reputation, and he won the case. The High Court decided that although the right to political expression is ongoing, it isn't a good enough defense for defamation. The court said that the freedom of political expression doesn't confer personal rights on individuals. Rather, it precludes the curtailment of protected freedom by the exercise of legislative or executive power, which is like big words, you know, <laughs> basically the government can't make laws that stop you from stating your political opinion. But once you say that political opinion, you can still get sued. Look, consequences. So you're still bound by things like defamation laws hate speech laws, sexual harassment laws, secrecy laws, sedition and treason laws, and laws against threatening others. So the idea is that these laws uh, are about protecting a person or group. Whether you think that they are too strict or not strict enough is your opinion and I don't know how much legal knowledge you have of it. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not here to comment on whether or not these laws are good or bad, just that they exist. But hey, now let's transition to restrictions on freedom of speech. Particularly, people aren't allowed to be super mega racist. They're allowed to be a little bit racist. They shouldn't be, but they're allowed to. 
The Racial Discrimination Act has a few myths about how powerful it really is. So you may have heard this at one point, there one thing that is frequently brought up when discussing freedom of speech is the Racial Discrimination Act. Multiple right-wing politicians and media commentators have cited Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act as a restriction on the freedom of speech, and have even called for it to be repealed or amended. It has come and gone out of the public debate over the years and former Liberal Prime Minister Tony Abbott wished to change or repeal it, but didn't while he was in office. So what is it? Section 18C says that it's unlawful to offend, insult, humiliate, or intimidate a person or group of people because of race, colour, or national or ethnic origin. Critics say that this is broad and cite things like it's a choice to be offended, like former Senator Liberal Democrat David Lionhelm. And on the surface it does appear to be a bit of a broad net, but discussions tend to leave out the very next section, 18D, that is just full of exemptions. I'm just about to say like a long legal thing and then I'm going to explain it. Okay, so section 18D says that it's legal so long as it is done reasonably and in good faith in a the performance, exhibition, or distribution of an artistic work, or b in the course of a statement, publication, discussion, or debate made or held for any genuine academic, artistic, or scientific purpose, or any other genuine purpose in the public interest, or c in making or publishing one a fair and accurate report of any event or matter of public interest, or two, a fair comment on any event or matter of public interest if the comment is an expression of a genuine belief held by the person making the comment. So there is actually a broad scope of ways to avoid being sued over breaching the act. Courts have taken the act very seriously and don't simply take insults as cause for breaching the act. The speech must have profound and serious effects. It's harder to breach the act than you think. Cases arguing that Pauline Hansen has breached it have been dismissed. Pauline Hansen is best known for causing controversy over her comments regarding race, specifically people from Asia and Indigenous Australians, and as of this video, has not breached the Racial Discrimination Act. In Etoc v Bolt, the federal court explained the definition of insult and humiliate are closely connected to a loss of or lowering of dignity. The word intimidate is apt to describe the silencing consequences of the dignity-denying impact of racial prejudice as well as the use of threats of violence. The word offend is potentially wider, but given the context, offend should be interpreted comfortable with the words chosen as its partners. Furthermore, the court tends to take every word as important to the case. You can't simply offend someone and be in breach of the act. Generally, you really have to offend, insult, and humiliate or intimidate them. There's also the fact that very few cases ever make it to the courts. Less than 5% actually go to court, and even then, a majority of them are dismissed. Like I said, it is real difficult to get sued over this. To put it into perspective, 
between 1995 and 2016, there had been 2,109 complaints under Section 18C. 96 resulted in litigation. 96 in over 20 years. It's not really the biggest roadblock to freedom of speech if in 20 years there have been less than 100 cases of people being told, hey, please shut up. You're being like super mean right now. Don't. There's no prison sentence either. Uh, Section 18C doesn't create a criminal offence, it's a civil offence. This means that the conclusion of a successful court case against someone who breached the Racial Discrimination Act could just be an apology. It can also include monetary damages and a promise not to repeat the act that caused the breach, or potentially all three. And the amount of money that you pay in damages often isn't large sums. In 1999, a Swanshire councillor said something that I'm going to warn you is not nice. He made a remark about shooting Aboriginal people and was found to have breached the act. The Human Rights Commissioner deemed it worse because it had come from a holder of an important public office. So what did this incredibly offensive thing warrant the councillor? $1,000 in damages to an Aboriginal man. Like I said, not that big. Another instance was radio shock jock Howard Sattler, who had to pay $10,000 in damages to Aboriginal elders for airing mockery of Aboriginal people and their sacred sites. When I said earlier that right-wing media commentators wanted 18C to be repealed, perhaps one of the most prominent examples of this is Andrew Bolt. If you've never heard of him, he's an opinion writer and blogger for the Herald Sun. He has argued for several years that the act severely limits freedom of speech. He's also one of the very few people who have ever been successfully taken to court for breaching the act, which may give you a little bit of a hint as to why he's so passionate about this subject. Do you think there's a conflict of interest there? He was the Bolt in Etoc v Bolt that I mentioned just a few moments ago. So, the history, the background. Bolt published two articles in the Herald in 2009, claiming that fair-skinned Aboriginal people were pretending to be Aboriginal to access benefits. The court ruled in 2011 that it was reasonable that light-skinned Aboriginal people would be offended, insulted, humiliated, or intimidated by these articles. And it was found these articles were not exempt under Section 18D because of the manner in which the articles were written, including that they contained errors of fact, distortions of truth, and the inflammatory and provocative language. Basically, this will surprise you, Bolt was not acting in good faith. He was just being really racist and lying to attack light-skinned Indigenous people. Many Indigenous people have light skin because their ancestors were kidnapped and forced to assimilate into white culture and society in a large-scale cultural genocide. So, it's not a topic that you should speak dismissively about just to smear a group of people. Just a pro tip there, Bolt, you should do a little bit more research. You can see as to what motivated Andrew Bolt to spend the next several years writing opinion pieces about why these anti-discrimination laws are bad and should be repealed. He's of course completely free to express the opinion that we should have more political freedom to express our opinions. The irony there is probably lost on him. He's only ever been taken to court, like, once over this, so... 
<laughs> he's had a long career. I don't think this has really stopped him from saying many, many things. So as you can see, people who say racist things are not really heavily impeded by Section 18C and only in very rare cases ever manage to have legal consequences for what they say. It's far more likely that they'll have social consequences instead, where like a colleague, a friend or a family member goes up to them and is like, hey, what you said was offensive and I wish you would stop. That's not silencing them and restricting their freedom of speech. That's just, you know, asking them to have manners and think of other people. There's a big difference between what you legally can do and what is socially acceptable. And if you try and confuse the two, I'm sorry, but like, that's not how laws work. And if you think, hey, could you please be polite as silencing your freedom of political expression, you understand that your friends and family are not the government or lawyers suing you, right? That's just a, that's just a request. Okay, so people who say racist things aren't really limited under Australian law, but who is? Who has restricted freedom of speech in Australia? Because there is a group, a pretty sizable group, who has their freedom of political expression legally restricted in ways that the rest of us don't. And that group is public servants. I, I surprise! Public servants are allowed to participate in public and political debate. But, as the Australian Public Service Commission website states, this is not an unlimited right. APS employees have particular responsibilities under the Public Service Act of 1999 that come with being employed as a public servant of the Commonwealth of Australia. In some cases, these responsibilities may limit their ability to participate fully in public discussions, including on social media. Public servants cannot make a comment that makes others believe that they can't serve the government impartially and professionally. So this includes a restriction on being able to criticise the relevant minister of the department the employee works for because it shows a lack of impartiality and may undermine the integrity or the reputation of the agency or the public service in general. Basically, don't criticise your boss. The APSC website even warns people not to assume that they can post or like even anonymously under a fake name because it can still be linked back to them. If you join a Facebook group with a clear political intention, people can infer from that that you might not be impartial in your job. Even a private email can be used as proof you have breached the code of conduct. After all, you can't guarantee that that email cannot be forwarded on to someone else. Even sharing a petition on a political topic may be risky, depending on the employee's role and the nature of the petition. If you work for the public service and are tagged in posts in nature that are potentially inappropriate for your role, you should untag yourself and tell the person tagging you not to do it again. Like I said, it's not like you can't have any form of political expression. Volunteering for a political party and, say, handing out how to vote cards is generally seen as okay. So you can encourage people to vote for a different political party than the one that is currently in power. It's just that in certain circumstances, 
there are some things that you can't say and you can get fired for it. And once again, I must bring up the real star of this episode, the High Court. There was a landmark case in 2019 where the High Court ruled that it was legal to fire a public servant, Michaela Banerjee, for anonymous social media posts that criticized the government's immigration policy. She had a Twitter account under a different name that she used to criticize the government, but it was discovered that it was her and subsequently used to fire her. The court ruled that the restrictions imposed by the Public Service Act of 1999 don't contradict the implied freedom of political communication in the constitution because it does so for a legitimate purpose. That purpose being that it's necessary to maintain and protect the apolitical public service that is skilled and efficient in serving the national interest. So public servants are restricted in their political speech compared to everyone else. Though if you do want to become a public servant, I recommend going to the APSC website and learning what those restrictions are and if it would interfere with your role. If you hate the government a lot and want to publicly post about how much they suck, then maybe the public service isn't the best job for you. Again, you'd have to check uh, the restrictions on the website based off like your job description and whether or not you hate the relevant minister. I'm not here to give you full on job advice as to whether or not you can or cannot be fired. I'm just saying, hey, this is a thing you should be aware of before you decide to apply for a job. But if you hate the government and can push that deep down inside of you, like you have feelings, uh, where it's left to fester internally and silence it as much as possible, then like, sweet, go for it. Like, <laughs> that won't backfire. That's fine. That's fine. Speaking of hating the government, don't commit acts of treason or acts of violence. Don't, just don't. In case you weren't aware, treason is a crime. Um, it's big shock, huge if true. But hey, turns out there are laws that say you can't commit or even encourage others to commit acts of treason and violence. It seems like a no-brainer, but another exception to freedom of speech and political expression is that if political expression involves you openly encouraging people to go murder the Queen and then support a country that is currently at war with Australia, um, that's not okay. That one's not covered uh, by the constitution. It's a pretty solid no-go zone. Just don't. You can't urge people to be violent towards a person or group or urge them to be violent for the purposes of interfering in an election, which will come as a surprise to many Americans. So it's not just the act of being violent, it's also encouraging it to happen as well. It's not just illegal, it's bad as well. Sometimes the government legislates to stop people from revealing damaging information. The most obvious example of this is you can't reveal military information that would be a threat to public safety. If something says top secret on it and you photocopy it and put it on the internet, someone, probably in the military, will get upset at you. There are lots of wars to do with whistleblowers and they can change at times, so I haven't gone into detail about that in this video you will most likely not have to deal with this situation, probably. I don't know what you do for a living or what your life goals are. If you happen to be a spy, by the way, feel free to comment down below, I am not a spy, to make sure everyone is thrown off your scent. No one who is a spy would say, I'm not a spy, as that's too suspicious. So if you do it, 
no one will think you are one, because they're like, that would be a bad spy. See? That's some logic right there. One thing about whistleblowers that I can talk about is the case of the government trying to restrict what doctors can say about indefinite detention of refugees. So there are many refugees that have been indefinitely held for years on end in Manus and Nauru. And there are a lot of reported cases of abuse, lack of adequate medical care and poor treatment that have persisted over the years. The UN has been very critical of this. In 2016, the Liberal government under Malcolm Turnbull tried to pass a law that would threaten doctors and nurses with up to two years in jail if they leaked information about abuse in the facilities without authorization. However, this was pretty unpopular, so the Border Forced Act was amended to exclude medical professionals from all the several secrecy provisions in the act. This is what doctors and nurses wanted. They wanted less restrictions to allow them to advocate for people in facilities to receive better medical care. But the amendments did not exclude teachers, lawyers, security staff, social workers and other staff from that potential jail sentence. So that still applies. They cannot speak out about the conditions of the centre without authorization. The government has been secretive about the nature of its indefinite detention of refugees, even refusing a Green Senator Sarah Hansen Young from having a visa to visit, as well as also turning down journalists to visit Nauru. There's also the issue that the Nauruan government has rejected visas from journalists as well, so it's not just the laws of Australia that come to play here when it comes to restrictions. So in some cases, governments have legislated ways that limit employees to speak about their workplaces and limited journalists' ability to visit those workplaces to report on them. If you want to work for something that involves the government, you have to check as to whether or not you are allowed to, one, criticize the relevant minister or even speak out about your workplace. But hey, what isn't a violation? As you can see, there's nothing in the law that says that you deserve a platform to speak. Every social media website has terms and conditions that can be violated, and a person can be removed from that platform. That even applies to politicians. For example, former Liberal MP turned independent Craig Kelly had his Facebook page permanently taken down after repeatedly violating the terms and conditions about spreading harmful and debunked information about COVID-19. Kelly complained that it violated his freedom of speech and you guessed it, has no legal leg to stand on because that's the terms and conditions that you agree to by using a service. Kelly isn't threatened with jail or any kind of legal action for spreading misinformation. He is capable of signing up to any of the hundreds of other social media platforms out there. The High Court has nothing to do with Facebook saying, hey, this violates our terms and services, just like you can't post, say, inappropriate images of violent stuff, etc. Other social media platforms may decide, as is their right as private corporations, to decide if content belongs on their platform. So if you or anyone you know gets removed from YouTube for spouting dangerous conspiracy theories that could lead to people getting harmed, that's not a violation of some innate right, that's just a regular old consequence. 
Freedom of speech laws are basically there to limit what a government can do to restrict the political expression of others, and they always need to find a way to justify that to the High Court as to whether or not the restrictions are reasonable. It's not saying that you can say anything at any time, anywhere, all the time. If you go into a kindergarten, for example, and just start screeching profanities, I'm sure the teacher will tell you to leave. If you say, you're silencing my freedom of speech, you're not making a good political point about personal liberties, you're just giving the children a really traumatic learning experience about the pitfalls of not understanding a subject very well. And so there you have it, there are all kinds of ways that freedom of speech is either protected or restricted in Australia. It really depends on the situation that you're in. As you can see, freedom of speech is a broad topic, but so long as you're not a public servant working for an indefinite detention facility, trying to vilify or attack a minority, or saying something that might interact with like defamation laws, or do like a treason, it's unlikely that you'll encounter legal restrictions about your speech. The most common thing that'll probably happen to you is you might say something and someone around you says that, hey, that's not socially acceptable. They have no legal recourse to make you say sorry for saying an offensive remark, but they might try to socially peer pressure you into doing something that is a more acceptable behaviour. That's how every society in the existence of forever has worked. I hope you didn't need me to tell you that that is how it works. But as the ancient saying of our forefathers go, we live in a society. Thank you so much for tuning in. Comment down below what you would like to learn about next. After all, who is gonna legally stop you from being able to express your interest in learning more about politics? No one. Like, share, subscribe, and a massive thank you to all my supporters on Patreon who support this channel. If you would like to get early access to videos and bonus content, you can support me. The link is in the description, along with a link to a copy of the script, as always, where you can see all the citations I use to make this so you can learn more. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.